You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Let's bow our heads together and pray. Heavenly Father, you are holy. You are our Father that's in heaven and hallowed be your name, God. We want to declare that you are hallowed, that you are revered, that you are holy. And God, we as your children are are called your saints, called your, your sanctified ones, called holy because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done. God, we have not achieved holiness by our own effort or by our own works, Lord, but by faith in your Son, in the Holy Son of God, who ministered in the power of your Holy Spirit and who sent your Spirit to live inside of us, God, so that we are your temple. And God, there are some things about you that we still need to learn, Lord. Your holiness is so infinite and so glorious and so majestic. I pray, God, that as we open your word that we would better understand you, God. There are things about ourselves, Lord, that we need to learn. We all have blind spots and we don't see ourselves as clearly as we ought. And so I pray that you would not only teach us about you, but that you would teach us about yourselves, Lord. I pray that you would show us your son who is the the living word, God, as we read the written word. I pray, God, that you would teach us and instruct us and lead us, God. I pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. You can open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Thessalonians. And if you don't have a Bible with you, the ushers are coming up and down the aisle. Just raise your hand or holler at them. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. If you just left yours at home this week, then you can just borrow it during the message. It'll make a lot more sense if you're able to follow along. So glad if you're joining us today to give support and encouragement to one of the people that were baptized today. And both testimonies during this service really highlighted the transformation, whether, you're, whether you become a Christian when you're very young or whether you become a Christian later in life. One thing that's true about everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ is that Jesus transforms a person's life. And that's what we've been studying as a church. We've been going through this series called This Changes Everything. The fact that Jesus came from heaven and lived here on earth and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for us to pay the penalty that we deserve for our sin and then rose again, that that changes everything. It changes our lives, and we've been going through talking about how it changes the way we think about our money, it changes the way we think about our relationships, about our family, and today we're going to be looking at the subject of work, that, that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, it changes your work. It doesn't necessarily mean that you quit your job and become a pastor or a missionary, But it means that the job that you do is no longer the same job. You're no longer looking at it the same way because who you are has been changed. So therefore, how you do your job and why you do your job will change even if your job doesn't change because the who has changed, the how and the why must change. 
And in 2 Thessalonians, we're going to find in chapter 3, verses 6 to 12, we're going to hear the Apostle Paul encouraging that church because there are some people in that church who were living their lives, claiming that they were Christians, that they had been changed, but the way that they were understanding work hadn't changed. There was a distortion in their understanding of what it meant to work. And so the Apostle Paul is trying to clarify that. Second Thessalonians is a really short book. He began by talking to them about how to deal with persecution. Then he clarified some misunderstanding about the end of the world and the return of Jesus Christ. And then he closes off the letter in chapter 3 with this issue of work. In chapter 3, verse 6, he says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not according to the tradition that you receive from us. This person was, or these people were walking in idleness. They weren't working. And Paul's using some strong language here. He's saying, I command you. And he's saying, keep away from these people. He's, he's using the language of church discipline. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus laid out a four-step process. If you know that someone has sinned against you, or if you are aware of sin in another believer's life, if they are claiming to be a Christian but aren't living like it, there's four steps that you're supposed to follow. The first one is that you're supposed to go to them personally. Don't go talk to someone else about it. Go to them directly, face-to-face, have a conversation. If that doesn't go well, then this next step is to bring another person with you to try to reason with them, if that doesn't go well, then the church needs to get involved. And in this situation, as it relates to these idle people who weren't working, Paul had spoken to them about this in person. He wrote about it in 1 Thessalonians, the first letter, and now we're reading the second letter. And now Paul is ramping it up. Now they're at the third stage. And he's, he's not saying that these people aren't Christians. Notice how he refers to them as brothers. To keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. Well, what does keep away mean? It's like as soon as you see them, you're supposed to run. A keep away means don't associate with them in such a way that would condone the way that they're behaving. To, to treat them in such a way that, hey, I still love you. I still think you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You are still welcome here. But you need to understand that you've got some things in your life that are not right. And because I love you, I can't just pretend like everything's okay. So there's a, there's a, a church discipline issue happening. And it's, some, it's about something surprising. It's about the issue of work. It, it, it's about having a job. It's about doing your duty. And oftentimes we don't, when we think about church discipline or that sort of thing, we think about something, you know, sexual immorality or, or, or fits of rage or anger or, or gossip or that sort of thing. But this particular issue had to do with people who weren't willing to work. And it became a church discipline issue for these people. It's something that the Apostle Paul took very seriously. It's something that the early church took very seriously because it's something that God takes seriously. And the key word here in verse 6 says that they're walking in idleness, notice this, not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Uh, in accord. We don't really use that phrase too much in in everyday language, but what it means is to to be in accord with means that you're lining up with. If someone is refusing to work, 
their life is not lining up with the tradition. And when he's saying the tradition there, he's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That when the apostles established the church at Thessalonica, and when they were pouring into the believers, they didn't just tell them, hey, here's how to get, he- here's how to, get to heaven, we'll see you there later. No, it was, here's what Jesus has done for you, and this changes everything. Let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about parenting. Let's talk about money. Let's talk about work. And so, right when the early church was established, it wasn't just spiritual and theoretical. It was very, very practical. And a tradition was laid out. This is who Jesus is. This is the gospel. And your work, the way you approach work, has to line up. It has to be in accord. And for some of these people, it wasn't. That's why Paul is writing this section of this letter. Well, how is it that work... Can, can line up with the gospel. I mean, doesn't, can I just do whatever, whatever I want? I mean, if I just worship on Sunday and believe in Jesus, well, listen, Jesus calls you to, to more than just singing some songs and hearing a sermon one day a week. He has come not, to, not just to transform your Sunday. He's come to change every single day of our lives. And it's important for us to, to understand what Paul's saying here in, in the context of the entire Bible. I mean, at the beginning of the Bible... The Bible begins with work. God created the universe in six days. The first week of the universe was a work week. And when God came to the end in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, it says, On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work. And on day six, God made Adam and Eve. And when he created Adam, it says that the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Work isn't something that came after the fall. No, work was part of why we were created. God is a worker. Human beings are created in the image of God. Therefore, human beings are made to be Workers. That is how God has designed us. We were not designed to walk in idleness as the people are being described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Jesus clarified this even further in John 5, 17. He said, my father is working until now and I am working. Jesus came to represent his father and he said, my father is always working. And he says, I'm here working We were created to work. Other places in the Bible, Colossians chapter 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You don't have to have a nine to five job in order to work. Okay, maybe your work is to be, a, to be a homemaker. Maybe you're raising children at home. And your work, or maybe you do have a nine to five job. And you need to understand that you are called upon to reflect the image of God in the way that you approach that job. But it doesn't just, it doesn't just have to do with, with your work week. Whatever you have in front of you, whether it's a chore, if you're a child and there's something that your parents have asked you to do, whether it's something that you're supposed to do for your family, like fixing something or preparing a meal, we are all called upon to work. There's all different kinds of work. There's about 100 different volunteers right now all around our church that are working. They, they, they are doing a job in order to push the mission of our church further. There's many different ways of working. And I love 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory 
of God. This is why we work. Everything that we do is to be done for God's glory. You see, here's the thing. You can still have a job, but still be idle. Just because you have a job or a role or get a paycheck doesn't mean that you're working. Some people go to work, but they don't go to work. You understand what I'm saying? You can go to work, but if you don't go to work in order to go to work, then there's no point of going to work. Work is not a place where you go to and spend eight hours a day. Work is a list of tasks that you're supposed to accomplish for the glory of God. As you reflect his image. And so don't think, hey, this is a sermon about idleness. I'm not idle. I got a job. Well, do you do your job? (laughs) You can walk in idleness even though you are gainfully employed. And this, the way that we work has to line up with the tradition of the gospel. That God is a worker. That we were created in his image. Because we have sinned. We have fallen away from the glory of God. We no longer reflect his image the way we should. But Jesus came, Colossians 1 says, that he's the image of the glory of God. And that he's come to restore us rightly so that we could properly reflect the image of God. And so our work is transformed as our lives are transformed by the gospel. All of this for this one point, that work is worship. Work is worship. Worship. Whatever you do, you're supposed to do for the glory of God, young or old, large task or small task. Whatever is in front of us, Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. If you're here today and you're a young person, you are totally not off the hook. If you are here today, like I mentioned, doing chores for your parents, if you are here today and you are a student, your job is to be a student. Your job is to read and do assignments and get that job done. It is absolutely unacceptable for a young person to call themselves a follower of Jesus Christ and just blow off their teacher and not do their work. It is not in accord. It is walking in idleness. And the way you behave at school needs to line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we, we all need to understand that how we work is a reflection of who we worship, that we're created in the image of God who is a worker. And then he transitions simply from giving an, an oral uh, instruction that, that we're supposed to work and not walk in idleness. Now he's going to use an, he's going to use an example. He's going to show them. Look at uh, verse, verse 7. He says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul wasn't just, he wasn't just talking the talk. He was walking the walk, and when he was living in Thessalonica, he showed them the example of how to Work And look at how he describes the way that he worked in verse 8. Toil and labor. Toil and labor. The Greek word there for for toil, it, it literally means hard. Hard labor. You can jot this down. The second thing we need to understand about work is that work is hard. Work is hard. He described it as 
toil. He describes it as labor, which means hardship, which means trial, which means trouble. Paul was working when he was living in Thessalonica, and it was not easy. This is the reason why it's not easy. Genesis chapter 3 Verse 17 to 19, this is why work is hard. After Adam and Eve sinned, this is what God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Now Adam was created to work. He was put in the garden to work. And the work then, the work in Eden, it was still work, but it was a delight. Now we live and we work under a curse. And work is hard, and it's by the sweat from our face that we get bread. And we live in a world today that thinks that everything should be fun. And uh, I was uh, brought up in a generation of, of young people that were educated that learning should be fun. And uh, there's teachers who are spending themselves and working so hard to try to make learning fun. I used to be a teacher. I used to try to make learning fun. Even right now, I'm trying to make it fun for you. Some of you are saying, try harder. Okay, I will. <laughs> Listen, there's nothing wrong with a teacher working hard to make, to make learning fun. But in all of these attempts to try to make learning fun, part of the problem with that is that we've raised a generation that expects everything to be fun. And one of the most important lessons that we need to teach our young people and a lesson that I need to teach myself is that work is hard. And some things in life, there isn't an app for it. You can't turn it into a game. There isn't a little song that you can sing to help you remember it. It's just flat out hard. And you have to do it just because you have to do it. And that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. We worked with toil and with labor It was difficult. Paul was a tent maker. In Acts chapter 18, it just says that because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Tents were made either weaving animal hair together or working with leather. It was tedious. It was hard, difficult work. It took forever to build, to to make, to construct enough material in order to have a tent. And it was hard work. It was toil. It was labor. We need to understand that work is hard. If you're here today and you love your job, I'm so happy for you. You need to understand that you're in the minority. Most people don't have job satisfaction. That job satisfaction that that we read about in articles. That job satisfaction that movie stars say, you know, just do what you love and love what you do. Yeah, do you love being famous? Do you love having people wait on you all the time? Of course you love that. Not everyone gets to be a movie star. So don't tell us to do what we love and then we'll love what we do. Not, it's very rare for people to ever have the privilege to actually do what they love. And, and that, is, that is not biblical. That's not even reasonable. That is a crushing burden to put on, on the vast population that we're all supposed to somehow love our jobs. No, we love our king. We love Jesus. And that changes everything so that even if you don't love your job, you can still bring glory to him. Work is hard. 
but we make it harder when we make our work sloppy. John White wrote an excellent book on the book of Nehemiah. I read it while I was studying for that a series. And he had a lot to say in a particular chapter about work. And he said, there's nothing more wearisome than sloppy work. If you're here today and you're discouraged by your job, maybe it's because you're not actually doing your best. And it's incredible how things can change when you have something in front of you and just rather than being like, oh, i got to do this again. Deciding what's here right in front of me, whether it's a big task or a small task, whether a lot of people are, notice, are going to notice or no one is going to notice, to look at what's right in front of you and say, I am going to do the best possible job. I'm going to make the greatest lunch for my kids right here right now. I am going to fill out this form and process this person's uh, paperwork like never before. That changes, that changes the way that we approach our work. One of the reasons why so many of us are bored and discouraged is because we're just not working hard. We were made to work hard, to embrace the difficulty, the tediousness. Another thing that I try to work into my own personal work week, listen, I love, I, I, I'm, in the, I'm in the minority. I absolutely love my job. But even for people who love their job, there's always parts of your job that you don't love doing. Everyone has that. No matter how fulfilled you feel, no matter how much job satisfaction you have, there are always some tasks that you just don't like to do. And one of the things that I try to practice is do the hardest thing first. Don't put it off. If there's a, 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 a big, hairy, smelly, ugly project that is just, you know, needs to happen, our tendency is to put that at the bottom of our to-do list and hopefully maybe I'll run out of time by the end of the day and I'll have to put it off till tomorrow. But what you need to do is just get in there and do the hard thing first. It will, it will make such a difference into your work week, into your work day. Work is hard. The Apostle Paul set this example for them. In verse 9, he says, It was not because we do not have that right. What's he saying when he says having that right? What right is he referring to? He's referring to the fact that all throughout the New Testament, it's referred to that people who work hard and labor at preaching the gospel have the right to be paid for the work that they do. The Apostle Paul referred to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, 14. He's quoting what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 9. The laborer deserves his food. And uh, thank the Lord, I have the privilege, and I count it a distinct privilege, not something that I'm entitled to, but I have the privilege of making my living by the gospel. It is not money that motivates me to preach the gospel. The New Testament has a lot to say about that. But by God's grace, working through the generosity of God's people, we're able to have a, a staff team. And it's, it's very frequently that we are always reminding our staff team in staff meetings or when we get together and pray in the mornings together that there are people who are working hard and giving tithes and offerings in order so that we could be here today doing what we are doing. It is a distinct privilege that God has allowed uh, furthermore, a couple of more examples in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word 
share all good things with the one who teaches. Even when Paul was in Thessalonica, check this out in Philippians 4.16. Apparently he wasn't making enough as a tent maker. Someone actually sent him a donation to help him when he was working in Thessalonica. Even in Thessalonica, this is written to the church at Philippi. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So he got multiple donations to help him in his proclamation of the gospel while he was working hard and making tents. One of the church planters that I was... um, that I was um, training with in Chicago. He's in Miami. No one likes Miami right now, right? The Raptors are going up against Miami this afternoon. Uh, But uh, he is just such a generous, godly man. His name is Jason Fevig. And uh, he had uh, this this growing church, and it was just a huge Spanish population down there. And they ended up planting a Spanish church out of that church. And as that church was planted and established, his church shrunk significantly, so much to the point that he had to go back and start working at his at his original vocation for a season in order to allow. He didn't see it as just something that he was entitled to. That's such a powerful example of his commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaiming his gospel. And so he, Paul lays out this example. He ends off in, 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 in verse 9 to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Paul just didn't say, hey, go do that. No, he said, hey, watch me and I'll show you how it works. I'll show you how God rewards those who are willing to labor and to toil. So we need to understand that work is hard. Work is not easy. Also make note of this. Work is provision. Work is provision. We need to pay careful attention to what he says in verse 10. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now we need to be clear on what Paul is saying here and not what Paul is not saying here. He's saying, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not There are plenty of people in this room who are a part of this church who are very willing to work, but maybe because of an injury, or maybe because of an illness, or maybe because of a maybe because of layoffs or some sort of other circumstance outside of their control. Although they are willing to work, they are not able to work. And and there are people here today who are looking for full time work, and I know because I'm talking with them and praying with them that they are making full-time hours just to try to find full-time work. If you're looking for a job, your job is to look for a job. I just got an email this morning from a brother in our church. It's been about eight months where he's been looking for a job. I had a conversation with him last week saying, hey, I'm praying for you. How's it going? He told me all of the leads that he's following. And then just this morning, I got an email from him saying, I found a job. Thanks for praying. Looking for a job is a full-time job. A job is not going to fall from the sky and hit you on the head. You need to work at trying to find it. But there are some people who are simply unwilling to work. I had another person come between the services. And this was someone who, they had, they've had financial difficulty in the past. And they've, been, they've had a hard time finding a job. And they found a good job. And they, they just came forward after the service and said, hey man, I'm not here to pray for a job. You know my story. I found a really good job. I just want to tell you. Listen, they're hiring at 
at the place where I just got hired. So if you want to let people know, I, I, can, I can hook them. How awesome is that? This guy was working so hard to find a job. Now he's found one. Now he's trying to help other people find a job. We need to be willing to work. That's why whenever, uh, whenever we as a church, whenever we come across a member of our body who is struggling financially, we are eager to help them out. Because we want to follow the example of the early church in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We want to be a church that is generous. But even in the early church, just as today, some people were looking at this money that was being handed out. And they're like, oh, I'm getting some of that. And they saw it as an opportunity to take advantage of the generosity of the Christian church in order to receive a handout. That's what the Apostle Paul is hitting on right here. People who are continually asking for a handout and not using those hands to provide for themselves. If they're not willing to work, then they may not eat. This is, work is God's provision. If you, have, if you have an able body and are able to work, God is not going to provide for you by just having groceries show up at your door. He's, his means of provision is he provides you with work to provide you with food and shelter. That is God's design. Look at, look at Psalm 128, verse 1 and 2. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. This is someone who is walking closely to God, has a relationship with him. How does God provide for this person? Look at, you shall eat of the fruit of the labor of your hands. That's God's design. That he provides food for us by providing work for us. Every once in a while, I run into these people who say they're living by faith. I mean, what do you mean you're living by faith? Well, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm not really working right now. I'm just kind of, you know, living by faith. You're not living by faith. You're living by, by the sacrificial generosity of other believers or your parents or relatives. Don't, 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 don't blame God or, or don't try to give him credit for the way that you are leeching off and, and, and taking advantage of the generosity of other believers in Jesus Christ. When we as a church simply give handouts, or when we as family members simply give handouts, we are actually short-circuiting what God has wired for us. God's plan is to provide food by providing work. Look at these examples from the book of Proverbs. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. These idle people were following worthless pursuits. A worker's appetite works for him. Proverbs 16.26 His mouth urges him on. This is how God has wired humankind. We're created in his image. Created to work. An idle person will suffer hunger. Proverbs 19, verse 15. So again, we need to understand there's a difference between being willing to work and you, and you can't versus being unwilling to work. Leviticus chapter 19 summarizes this beautifully. This is how God wired us. This is God's design for work. 
It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So here we have in the Old Testament, God providing for the poor. But notice how he provides. He doesn't tell them to gather everything from your field and then set aside what you've harvested and then give it to the poor. No. He tells them to leave it, to leave it in the field, to leave it on the vine and allow those who are less fortunate to have the dignity of working in order to provide for themselves. That is how God has wired us. When we just do a, when we just do a handout, we short-circuit what God has intended. He created us to work. This is how Ruth met, met Boaz in the book of Ruth. That Boaz was a godly man and he provided work. He created an environment in which those who were needy around him, i.e. Ruth and Naomi... To be able to have the dignity of providing for themselves. And that's how Boaz and Ruth met and fell in love as Boaz obeyed Leviticus chapter 19. So we need to understand that work is a provision. God has provided food for you by providing work for you. And also make note of this, that work is protection. Work is protection This isn't something that we always see every day. And I had this message all prepared and I was at a wedding yesterday, um, officiating a wedding for a couple in our church. There was another family from our church there and and we were talking about the sermon and he said, oh, you're talking about work. He said, you know what? He said, work protects me from so many things. And I said, dude, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And we had this amazing discussion about how in the wisdom of God, God not only provides for us through work, but he also protects us through work work. Verse 11, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. A busy bodies isn't exactly a word that you use uh, too often unless you're like a kindergarten teacher or a grandmother or something like that. But the reason why the English Standard a version uses the word busy bodies is busy at work and busy bodies because in the original Greek, those two words in Greek actually sound the same. Someone who has a job and someone who doesn't know how to mind their own business. It's it's very similar words. So busy at work, a busy body. The, The word there is describing a meddler, a gossip, someone who doesn't mind their own business. And what Paul is describing here is because they didn't have the protection of being busy at work, They were falling into the sin of gossip and meddling in other people's affairs. Because they didn't have something to do themselves, they they got focused in on on these minor issues. Like we say in our our own day, right? We say to people, if if they're so focused on something that doesn't make sense, or so not able to mind their own business, what do we say to them? We say, get a job, right? Why are you being such a busybody? You need to be busy at work. And also, the, the people were not only the sin of gossip, but the sin of entitlement. Where's my bread, yo? You gave me bread yesterday. I need my bread. B-R-E-A-D. Come on, give me bread. Let's go. There was the sin of, 
of assuming that they could just continue to be a Christian parasite and have, have generous Christians continue to provide for them. And so there's two sins that are described here. Because these people were not working, they were not protected. God gives us work to keep us doing what's good and to distract us and to keep us away from those vain pursuits. The clearest example of this is David. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, in the spring of the year, when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him. What was David's role? What was his job? He was the king. What's a king supposed to do? Supposed to go out to war. This was the time for David to do his job. David did not do his job. He sent someone else to do his job. It says, but David remained at Jerusalem. And then it says, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on. So he's been spending all day at home, just chilling out on the couch in the middle of the afternoon. I should get up and do something. And so he goes out and he goes out onto his balcony. And so he was on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And that woman's name was Bathsheba. And we know how the rest of the story goes. When we become idle, when we refuse to work and are unwilling to work, and remember, you can go to work without going to work. When you go to work and not, and not with the intention of actually doing work when you're there, there's all kinds of temptations that you can fall into even at your job. And so we need to be keenly aware that God loves you and he wants to provide for you through working. He also wants to protect you through working. It's his, it's his infinite wisdom. He says to these people in verse 12, Now to such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly. Stop talking. Stop being a busybody. Stop meddling in other people's affairs. Just do your work and do it quietly. And then I love this, and earn their own living. The ESV footnote in your Bible shows at the bottom there, it literally means in Greek, to eat your own bread. Don't eat someone else's bread. Experience the the dignity that God has intended for you. He wired you to work and to provide for you and your family. And I love how Paul gives this command in verse 12. To such persons, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus. So he gives a command. He's firm. He's saying, you need to do this. But then he also encourages them. He says, you can do this. Not in your own strength. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, I command and I encourage you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Our work comes from the Lord. It's his provision for us and his protection. And our work is for the Lord. It is our worship. And even when work is hard, we need to understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us. When Jesus suffered and died on the cross, they put a crown of thorns on his head. The thorns were a symbol of the curse. In Genesis 3, it says, cursed is the ground. Thorns and thistles will now be produced. Before 
Before sin, there were no thorns in the ground. Jesus wore the crown of thorns because Jesus became the curse for us in order to cure us. So not only has Jesus redeemed us and our souls and our hearts, he has also made it possible for us to redeem our work, even though we are working in a cursed world. Our work can be redeemed because we are transformed by the inside out through Jesus Christ who died for us. And to live a life in accord with the gospel that lines up with the gospel, we work every day by faith in his goodness to provide for us and to protect us because he loves us. So Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it speaks to practical issues in our lives. And God, I pray for those people right now who are looking for work, God. Thank you for the way that you have answered so many prayers and that you're going to continue to do that. I pray that you would give them strength and endurance when, when they have the hard task in front of them of looking for work. Resume after resume, phone call after phone call, closed door after closed door. I pray that you would strengthen them and encourage them in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for those of us who have jobs but don't always work for your glory, who don't always see work the way that we ought to. I pray, God, that we would see our Savior wearing the crown of thorns, dying on the cross, to not just redeem our lives, but to redeem our work. And so God, I I pray that whether our job is sitting at a desk or working, raising children, making a home or punching a clock in a factory, Lord, God, I pray, God, that we would work heartily, not for men, but for you and for your glory. And so, God, I pray that you would radically transform the way that we understand our work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together and respond in song. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.